hormones are always going to elicit chemical reactions, always, constantly. Everything that happens in our body is a chemical reaction. A hormone never gets broken down until it's pulled out of the liver and then we discard it in our biofluids and we get rid of it out of the body. It will keep on triggering chemical reactions. It's not like, oh, I triggered one reaction and I'm used up. Hormones are never used up. They just go out and continue to trigger. Now we'll trigger reaction here and trigger reaction here and trigger reaction here. Welcome to You're Great, a podcast about healing stories and tools used for healing. I wanted to create a space for those seeking inspiration along their healing path. One of the things that I learned on my healing journey is that healing my body took healing my relationship with my body, with my food, with my emotional and spiritual body as well. Today's guest is Karen Hurd, and to many of you, she will need no introduction. Karen has been practicing for 30 years. In addition to her nutrition training, she holds a Master's of Science in Biochemistry. She is currently enrolled in the George Washington University Master of Public Health program. Her philosophy in approaching health is that food has the power to kill, food has the power to heal. It's your choice. Karen applies her knowledge at the biomolecular level to understand the cause of health problems and what dietary and lifestyle changes are needed to correct the cause and unlock our best health. I have worked with Karen for the last nine years, both as a client and as a support system. I coach a lot of her clients and have for many years. I started off coaching for free because I had a very different career and I never really saw myself in the health and wellness field, to be honest. I was headed in a very different direction in a 20-year career as uh, an executive producer and in sales and marketing. So for me, sitting here where I am now as a nutrition professional and a health coach, a life coach, an author, it's like living in some amazing dream. And all of it was possible because of Crohn's disease. Kind of crazy, really. Something that actually was going to kill me, gave me the most amazing life. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Karen today about women's hormones. Karen, I am so excited to see you and have you on my podcast. And I'm really excited by our topic today of women's hormones and the journey of a female body, what happens, issues we can come in contact with along the way. So thank you so much for being here with me today. You're welcome. I'm honored to be here. So when I was a little girl, I had no idea what was happening with my body. There was definitely no education as to what was happening with my body. And my relationship with hormones started off with a pretty abrupt kick where my period came and with it, tender breasts, PMS, I became a monster and horrible cramps. I, I just didn't know what to do and my mom didn't know what to do with me. I wish there was better education about our human bodies. And even to this day, there's so many women out there who have no idea what happens. So I would love for you to take us through. Sure. First of all, we're born females and then we grow. And then at a certain point in our life, we go through the stage of puberty. We call it menarche. But menarche, I'll be a little bit more specific. When we go through puberty, the first thing that will happen is that a young girl will develop breast buds. 
once those breast buds develop, it's usually about two years after that that they'll have their first menstrual cycle. The first menstrual cycle is called menarc, the onset of the menstrual cycle. And then our periods are usually very irregular for the first several years. So you may not, you may have your first period and you may not have one for another several months or a year. And then it takes several years for them to start to regulate to the every monthly thing. So now what happens though is that we have noted that girls are having menarche earlier and earlier and earlier. And typically several hundred years ago, a woman would go through menarche at age 16. That was the average age that you would get your menstrual cycle. And at 16, then you were considered a marriageable woman and that you now you could have babies. And so now you can get married because you're having a menstrual cycle. But from 16, it backed up when now see, I'm 64 now. And so I was born in 57. I went through Menarche when I was 14, which, you know, but now it's back down to an average age is 11 and even nine-year-olds mm. are having their menarch. And so they're developing breast buds, you know, when they're eight, mm. seven, mm. you know, this is crazy, crazy. So how is that happening? Because what's supposed to happen is that there's a growth hormone that gets us to a certain point, And then your pituitary is releasing these hormones to, to cause the, the sexual maturity in a, in a girl's body. And the main hormone that is going to cause these ovaries to ripen and the breast, the, first of all, the breast will begin to develop, that, the name of that hormone is estrogen. And therein lies the problem. Because in our culture today, we are eating and breathing many things that increase the estrogen, not just in a girl's body, but in a male's body too. In any body, we make estrogen. So, for instance, we eat phytoestrogens all the time. We have had a big push towards soy, you know, that, you know, we're not going to eat meats. We're going to eat fake meat, which is made out of soy. Soy is high in phytoestrogens. Phyto is spelled P-H-Y-T-O. It's for plant, a plant estrogen. So we're eating more plant estrogens. You'll say, well, I never ate soy. Well, we eat a lot of sugar and a lot of sugar means that we we create tissue, adipose tissue is uh, tissue that when you don't use all of the sugar that we're eating, it's converted into blood glucose and we don't use it all, then we have to store all of that excess glucose somehow. It's stored as a triacylglycerol, which is a type of fat in a cell called an adipocyte, which is adipose tissue. It's a fat cell. So look at our young girls. You will notice that the ones that are tend to be overweight are the ones that are developing a little bit more quickly. And that's because of these fat cells. And these fat cells, just having fat cells cause you to secrete estrogen. They secrete an estrogenic activity. So we have that. And then those are bad enough. Oh, we got two more big ones. Caffeine. Kids drink caffeine from the time they're, you know, knee high onto a duck. They've started with sodas and caffeinated beverages and, you know, they're sipping mama's coffee and daddy's, you know, Mountain Dew. And how does caffeine create more estrogen in the human body? And, that, and does it do the same for men as well? Is it an it estrogenic does. effect? Oh, it is. Okay. It does. It does the same for men. That's because caffeine stimulates the adrenal glands. It's okay. always a stimulant to the adrenal glands. You'll say, well, the adrenal glands don't make estrogen. Yes, they do. 
the adrenal glands always make estrogen and they make estrogen for men too. And when you stimulate the adrenal gland, it's not just adrenaline, which is epinephrine and norepinephrine. You have aldosterone, you have cortical steroids, you have lots of hormones being made by those sets of glands. They are secreting estrogen. So we have study after study after study that shows the intake of caffeine directly spikes the production of estrogen, wow. whether you are whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're male, female, a child, whatever. So we have children drinking caffeinated beverages. People clear estrogen better than others because you have a lot of men out there who are fasting until two in the afternoon and they're just drinking coffee the whole time to get to their fast. And they don't have any female looking body parts. They're very lean. Do some people clear estrogen better than others and can get away with that much uh, caffeine or what's going on that yeah. There's so many factors that are going on. We have to, first of all, bring in genetics. So the male genetics are to not, is to do a better job of getting rid of the estrogen hormone. But then as men gain weight, you'll notice that they develop breasts and they become more feminized, if you mm -hmm. will. This gets into a lot of detail, but there's, what did your mom do when she was carrying you in the womb? Because if she was taking progesterone during your pregnancy, which is commonly prescribed nowadays Very. to prevent miscarriage, but progesterone and just the littlest too much amount can create, when you go through the neural crest, when you have a child that's in utero, so you've conceived and you're taking progesterone, there's a neural crest. It's at the be very beginning of pregnancy where a male is going to differentiate from a female because if we have a blank slate and it's a female blank slate. And then- depending on you know what the chromosome, what we have X and Y chromosomes, then we're going to develop a male. If a male had a mother that was taking progesterone at the time, that male went through the neural crest. That male is going to have female tendencies the rest of his life. That's really fascinating. Have they, well, I mean, this gets into- There a are another. studies. There I mean, it's, studies. it's absolutely, it's a, it's a known phenomena and it's even written in all endocrinology books. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's referenced in all endocrinology books. Mm -hmm. you know, textbooks. Mm -hmm. And so, and in the same way, if your mother was carrying a female child and she goes through the neural press, she will have a tendency to be, I'll call it tomboy, but she will have an enlarged clitoris. She will still have the female parts or she may have a blind vagina. The vagina goes to nothing. There's no uterus there at all. Mm -hmm. It doesn't develop. And that's because of this progesterone overdose. And so that's why I'm just dead set against progesterone. We mm -hmm. have other ways to prevent miscarriage than taking this progesterone. And if you take too much of it all together, not only you, it, it depends on when you're taking it, because it has to be at the neural crest. But if you're taking too much progesterone in your pregnancy, you can actually create a miscarriage. We have all kinds of people that are suing because they were prescribed progesterone and they lost their baby because of the overdose of progesterone. When we would test a woman for pregnancy, we're talking back several decades ago, we would test a woman for pregnancy, we would use progesterone and use that as a, a marker for us. You know, We would give a woman a, a large amount of progesterone. They finally stopped doing that because they would give these to the women and then they cause the woman to miscarry the child. It's interesting. I mean, I do have a lot of clients I work with on fertility and and they do, there is a fair amount of, that do progesterone to keep the, to hold the pregnancy. I mean, that's definitely something I want to get into with you is the whole birth control, synthetic hormones, hormone replacement when we get into menopause. You know, those are definitely questions I want to, I want to talk to you about because I'm really interested in your thoughts. I have people all over the board in my practice, but I wanted to quickly go back. And so before a girl's ovaries develop and she gets her first period, 
I found this really interesting in one of your videos. It had been really new to me, the fact that our bodies before we get our first menses is converting testosterone into estrogen via the adrenal glands. Yes. Like that's yeah. amazing to me. We have this kind of epidemic. I mean, I got my period at 12, you know, which was pretty young, but not as young as you could be. I definitely loved sugar at a very young age. So I'm really fascinated that that, you know, through the overconsumption of sugar stimulants, can it also be said that if even if you're not over consuming sugar and stimulants, that if you come from a very stressful childhood, that you could also get have hormonal implications from just fam like constant stress in your life? Definitely, constant stress can add to it. It can also detract too, mm. because if you are so stressed out, it could be that you don't even make enough hormones and you never even go through puberty. It can go in the other direction too, depending on the amount of stress. Okay. Yeah. And I do want to mention before, I forget, you know, I, I mentioned the caffeine and the sugar and, you know, the, but we cannot forget this. Our society is running after this almost even more than sugar. And that is perfumes and fragrances. Perfumes and fragrances always stimulate an estrogen production. And you're not just talking about the chemical ones. You're talking about the essential oils as well, correct? Essential oils. So, you know, you're using whatever lavender, you know, whatever essential oil it is, it doesn't matter. And so that's stimulating the estrogen production too. Hmm. You know, you have all these young girls and they think to be pretty, they have to smell, you know, like whatever. It's terrible. No. Yeah. So I just, you know, I, I substitute teach here in our local school system. And I just was substitute teaching for uh, sixth graders. These are 11 year old girls mm -hmm. getting ready to turn 12, but 11 year old girls. There are some grown women in that class. I mean, they're fully developed grown women and they're 11 years old and they smell with perfume. And I watch all the snacks because they have snack breaks, you know, in sixth grade and it's all sugar, all of it's sugar, caffeinated mm -hmm. beverages. It's just everywhere. And it's just like, of course we're gonna have these problems. Yeah, there's just a lack of education throughout, not just the United States, but I would say the world of of what a proper diet should look like for the next generation, for every generation. You know, there's just this lack of information, really. But you have to go and look for it to find it versus it just being available. So it's, it's I, I see it too, you know, when I would take my daughters to school and nobody wants to be different. So you don't want to be the kid sitting there not having junky food and having healthy food and when everybody else is eating junky food. So it's, it's complex. Like what you're talking about is really complex. Very complex. It's, it's beyond just a simple behavioral change that we're going to eat different and get rid of our perfumes. It goes into a lot of socio, you know, play, you know, back and forth. And so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but the yes. hormones are the one taking the hit from what you're saying. So, and you're right. Like my daughter, my, one of my daughters are very, both at very young ages got into coffee the same as I did when I was in high school. It was like, oh, we all go to the coffee shop and get coffee. And now I look at it and I'm like, wow, I was just, I was feeding my endometriosis without even really understanding that that's what I was doing. Cause there's no literature out there going, Hey, painful periods are a not natural and normal. I mean, if you're having a painful period, then there's something not right going on in your hormonal system. And so I had no idea that what I was doing was directly feeding my own illness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these young girls' bodies, they are making testosterone too in small amounts. Okay. And so testosterone, how do we get estrogen? You get it from testosterone. It's, 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 that's the starting place. And then we have different catalysts that come into play and convert it into our estrogens. And so then those estrogens help us to mature. And then we have stimulating hormones that are coming 
from the pituitary because we're getting growth hormones that are playing into this too. Mm -hmm. So then our young girl is now, she's a menstruating young girl. She's 16 and she's having regular periods and then, or she's 14 or whatever, and she has horrible pain at her periods and she's, she can bleed heavy, have cramping, terrible mood swings, just tender breast is just miserable. That is from an overproduction of the female hormones. It's not an underproduction. It's too many female hormones. The more female hormones you have, the more your breasts are going to hurt. The more female hormones you have, the more you're going to grow extra tissue in that uterine cavity, which is, we call endometriosis. You can grow fibroids. You can grow cysts on the ovaries. And oh, if you get cysts on the ovaries and one of them erupts, this is pain like you have. It is horrible horrible. What an understatement. It's beyond horrible. You think you are dying. You wish you could die so that you could get out of the pain. Oh, it and was horrible. When mine burst, I called my doctor and he's like, oh, you had a, uh, a very cyst burst. And I was like, is that okay? And he's like, you'll be okay. And I was like, okay. Yeah, you'll be okay. I mean, it's you'll not okay. okay. Yeah. But it, it's a memorable experience that you will never forget. Mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> a yeah. negative memorable experience. And, and it's so, all overproduction. All of those are overproduction of hormones. Are they all the same? Is it all estrogen? It's not progesterone. It's not testosterone. It's just estrogen. No, it's all of them. It's, it's okay. all of them. Because if you have too much testosterone, then you can be converting more testosterone into estrogen, which means there's too much estrogen. Mm -hmm. The more estrogen you have, then the more progesterone you'll make. They're all, they're all like domino effects. So it could be that you're just having more estrogen because you're a caffeine freak and a perfume freak. And so now you're going to have more estrogen. Or you may just be making more testosterone because you are you're more prone to that because of your genetic makeup. And mm -hmm. so then you have more testosterone available, so then more estrogen is made. Mm -hmm. Progesterone is always going to be dependent upon how much estrogen is made. Not how much testosterone is made, but how much estrogen is made. Progesterone is only made in one place in the human body. I say one, it's actually two, but we'll just focus on the one. In one place in the human body, and that is in the female, in the, the egg, the place from which the egg erupts. When you have an, the ovum, which is an egg in the ovary, it will once a month, you will erupt an egg. And then that place, that sac where the egg was held is now called the corpus luteum. And we call it corpus luteum because corpus is body, luteum is yellow, corpus luteum means yellow body. If we looked at it, we could see it's yellow. It's just a little yellow spot on the ovary. Mm -hmm. That little yellow place, the corpus luteum, is the only place that we make progesterone. Mm -hmm. And if you had a corpus luteum, because you had this overly ripe egg that bursts forth, you have this overly mature corpus luteum, then you're going to make a lot of progesterone. And that progesterone will give you cramping like crazy, tons of bleeding, 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 big old clots. That's progesterone working for you. Oh, okay. So the pain, the pain, the cramping, and the heavy bleeding, that's progesterone. That's progesterone. Oh. The tender breast and the, the cysts on the ovaries that's estrogen. So what happens where women don't make enough progesterone and don't like that happens a lot where women don't can't hold a pregnancy because they're not making enough progesterone. I was reading somewhere and I'd love to know if this is accurate or not that stress hormones can blunt progesterone production. Absolutely. Like any cortisol. Absolutely. Any, any stress hormone can blunt the production. But that's not the, the whole issue and actually the, the brunt of the issue. 
the brunt of it is, is how much progesterone should that particular woman make at that particular time? Mm -hmm. And so each woman has a different threshold for progesterone. We have these limits. And when we say, well, these are the normal limits, the range between the low and the high end of progesterone. And you should be in that range. And you'll say, well, see, I'm on the low end of progesterone. I'm just a little bit below the, you know, normal. I'm not even in the normal range. I'm a little bit below. Maybe that's right for you. Maybe that's right. And then you say, well, the reason you lost your baby was because you didn't have enough progesterone. That is a hypothesis. That is not a yes, that is the reason you lost your baby. Mm. Because when you miscarry, we're really not sure why you miscarried unless we deliver the baby and we see that the baby had a heart defect, the baby genetic. had some genetic problem and didn't develop right. Mm. Most miscarriages happen within the first six weeks. Mm. And in that time, the vast majority of them are not a progesterone issue. It is an issue of a blighted ovum. Something was wrong with the egg. Mm -hmm. And if something is wrong with the egg, then the baby does not develop right. And then it can't, it cannot, it's not viable. It won't. The body's intelligent. It's going to kick out what it can't, what can't survive, right? So there's an intelligence there. Yep. Yeah. So when, when would it be a progesterone? Like how far along would you have to be if you lost the baby due to progesterone? Well, that again is, is, is all presumption too. Okay. Is, is it progesterone that's the cause of losing this baby? We're saying, well, if you, we give you progesterone, you're less likely to miscarry. Maybe, maybe not because we give women progesterone and they miscarry anyway. So why mm -hmm. didn't it work for them? Or we give a progesterone. What if we didn't give that woman progesterone? Would she have carried the baby to full term? See, those are the type of things we will never know because we can't do these double blind studies. Okay, you over here, we're going to just take the chance. You're going to lose your baby. No, we mm -hmm. don't do those. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's immoral. We try to give them as much help. So what we're doing is we're working from a very sketchy scientific basis and just using this as a hypothesis and an assumption. They're just assumptions. They're not cold and hard facts. Mm -hmm. And so right now our world, I see this all the time. We run after assumptions all the time and we're not, we don't have cold and hard facts and we may never have them. And that would be okay if somebody actually told you ahead of time, like this is a hypothesis. We don't know if this is going to help you as long as we're all in this together and understand that. But I think that in the world we live in today, there's uh, hypothesis is thrown around like it's fact. And, and if it comes from somebody with a big enough title, then you take it as fact versus a hypothesis. Exactly. This yeah. is run into that every day, almost every study, everything. And so we learn. So, you know, for instance, in my practice, I work with many women who have had multiple miscarriages and they say, and I take progesterone each time. It's not working. So hmm, why is it not working if progesterone is the answer? The answer is that you have a hormonal imbalance or you maybe have blighted ovum. But I mean, usually you could have at least a good egg come through, you know, after several tries. So it's probably a hormonal imbalance. And almost always it's an overproduction of hormones, not an underproduction. It's almost classically an overproduction of hormones. Is it an overripening of the egg? Why a lot of women can't get pregnant in the first place? Like, and, and if so, is, is that estrogen that's overripening their egg and basically causing it to disintegrate? Yes, that's okay. exactly what happens. And the egg disintegrates when it erupts from the corpus luteum, from the okay. little sac it's in, because the egg gets riper and riper and riper, and then it will 
burst force. I mean, it's literally a bursting out mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. little sack that it's in. If it is overly ripe, the force of this bursting out of the sack causes it just to fall to pieces. It disintegrates. Mm -hmm. So it's not that it was a baby. It's an egg. It was never fertilized. There's nothing to fertilize because it fell to pieces because everybody's seen an overripe piece of fruit. Take an overripe piece of fruit and drop it on the floor. And it goes splat, splat everywhere. And, you know, there's nothing left of that apple. It was just overly ripe. And then and that's there's. That's why you're infertile. There was no egg to fertilize. And there are cases, and I've seen this also in, in my own practice, is that there women will go and get, you know, they'll pull the eggs doing IVF treatment, and they'll test all of their eggs. And it makes you realize how many eggs are not viable just in the human body. Yes, you're, exactly. Because you see, we think that every single egg is a good egg, but they're not necessarily good eggs. No, and so you can release one after another that's not good. Exactly. And so then we say, well, you see the reason that I didn't get pregnant or I got pregnant and I miscarried is because I didn't have enough progesterone. Really? Or what? Did you have a bad egg? We got lots of bad eggs. That's why we yeah. have we have thousands and thousands and thousands of eggs. We're not going to have thousands of children, but we have lots of eggs because we're going to have some bad eggs. Well, that lots was profound eggs. to me when because I have a lot of clients doing IVF and they'll pull 12 eggs and three will be viable. And I'm like, that shows you how many of our eggs are genetically not viable. And that's going to be how many eggs that your body doesn't fertilize in the first place or clears out in the, fir you know, in the first six weeks that, because it's just not a genetically viable egg to proceed forward with a human life. So to me, that was humbling to see that. It's like, oh, not every egg in your ovary is going to be genetically sound. And and IVF shows me that again and again. It's every time my clients get it, oh, I had one good egg out of 10, you know? So it's 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 I think to me that was a really educational experience to realize that you can try for a year to get pregnant. And in that year, every egg that drops from both ovaries can be an unviable egg. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get pregnant, but it just means that it might take a little while. Is is that would that be a correct assumption? Yes, it could take a little while because your egg is, you know, inviable, or you know, you're over, you're, or you're overproducing hormones and overripening. Yeah, and overripening, or you know, when we have too many hormones that remember hormones are catalytic, they are causing chemical reactions to happen. They're not going to just sit around and be in the background and just you know be a wallflower and do nothing hormones are always going to elicit chemical reactions always constantly and they keep eliciting chemical reactions they don't and everything that happens in our body is a chemical reaction so mm -hmm. don't think it's like you know some people might think oh some chemical is in me no 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 this is everything happens with chemistry in our mm -hmm. body but a hormone never gets broken down until it's pulled out of the liver and then we discard it in our bio foods and we get rid of it out of the body. It will keep on triggering chemical reactions. It's not like, oh, I triggered one reaction and I'm used up. Hormones are never used up. They just go out and continue to trigger. Now we'll trigger a reaction here and a trigger reaction here and trigger a reaction mm -hmm. here. And that's the way they are, they are put together as molecules. They go through these taunt states, these relaxed states, and they change their configuration just slightly and then they can trigger another reaction. And that's, that's normal. If you're constantly recycling these hormones in your bile, I think the bile recycles at 95% learned that from you. And in this bile is this hormones that are not being broken down. Is a estrogen always an estrogen or can it ever be converted into something else along the way? Oh, no, it's, it's going to be that estrogen. 
That okay. molecule is created as an estrogen and stays mm -hmm. that one. Now, we have several different types of estrogen, the ones made from the adipose tissue, ones that are made from the adrenal conflict, ones that are made from the ovaries. So we have different, different classifications of estrogen, but that estrogen will remain that particular molecular form. I know that in the protocol, because I work with your protocols often, is that there's no flax and there's no soy. And my understanding of phytoestrogens is that they are weaker than our own estrogen. So if you're a woman looking to get pregnant in your fertility, fertile years, if you're eating all of this phytoestrogen that's plugging into the receptor sites where our own estrogen would go, how would that be interfering with fertility? And what happens to our own estrogen that's... They plug, they plug the receptor sites, but they're triggering the receptor sites at the same time. Whenever, you know, you, you, it's like a, a, a keyhole mm -hmm. and then you have something that fits into the keyhole. Mm -hmm. And so it fits into the keyhole. It blocks other things from fitting in it. It activates that cell into some reaction. Yes, they could be a weaker estrogen, but it's still, if it triggers, it doesn't matter if it's weaker or not. It's still triggering reaction. So if you're eating all this soy and flax, which a lot of people do, because it's talked about as being really good for you, and but it's plugging into these receptor sites, but it's most definitely not your innate hormone. It's not your female estrogen hormone, and it's weaker. I wonder how that interferes with your own fertility in that case. Like, how does it how does it interfere? Because it's definitely not working the same as your own estrogen would just by the fact that it's a plant estrogen instead of my estrogen. Is that an assumption that it could interfere with the fertility process? Possibly. I mean, what we'd have to do is say, okay, so what does the pituitary see as the estrogen that it's going to recognize? Does the pituitary recognize soy you know, those weaker estrogens, plant estrogens as the true estrogen that it is calling for. Mm -hmm. And so my particular, this is an opinion, hypothesis only. I want to make sure that's clear. This hypothesis only is that no, it doesn't recognize it. So it's going to call for your own pure estrogens that are being going to be made from testosterone and that they're going to be produced in the ovaries where this is going to be released, these estrogens. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to get your full quota of estrogen Plus, and you have the plant estrogens, which puts you over the top, which mm -hmm. means stimulus, which means overly ripe eggs all across the board, and then they blow up, and so there is no egg to be fertilized. And people will say, I did have an egg. I did ovulate because I had a, I had a period. Mm -hmm. So if I had a period, there was an egg there. Well, there was an egg there, but it could have blown up and disintegrated, mm -hmm. so there wasn't anything to fertilize. You still have a corpus luteum, and the corpus luteum is what creates the period. The egg mm -hmm. doesn't create the period. The corpus luteum does. So the sac from which the egg erupted, because mm -hmm. that's the only place we make progesterone. If you don't make progesterone, you will never have a menstrual cycle. Right, 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 right. So stress can overproduce estrogen. Stress can also cause us to underproduce progesterone. Is that correct? and estrogen and yeah. adrenaline. It depends on, you know, like you have these female athletes, you know, we, we start girls, that's another problem where they don't mature. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now they're, they're not going through puberty at an early stage. They go through a very late stage. They could be 18 and they're still look like they're, you know, a little girl. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of that is exercise. They have so battered their body, you know, because they're the gymnast, they're the ballerina, they're the runner, they're the whatever they are. And, you know, there's, it's so competitive nowadays that, you know, and we, we have taught these young girls that the exercise is the epitome of health. It is not at all. It's the epitome of putting your body in such of a state that you're going to destroy it. Mm -hmm. And so we have all these young girls that have, 
they start they start in grade school running and doing the gymnastics and all the rest of it. And then they are using so many hormones to be able to do that physical activity. Now, it's not an estrogen hormone that they're using. They're using a lot of other hormones. Specifically, they're using a lot of adrenaline. And then there's endorphins that come involved. And there's, there's other hormones. But we take what little resource we have to make this huge amount of exercise hormones. There is not anything left to make testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And so you don't make it, so you never mature. So would you, you're still making testosterone that whole time that you're over-exercising? Because as um, you see a lot of women who over-exercise, I see a lot of women who over-exercise, their hair's falling out, their periods are wonky, they don't have enough body fat to produce the estrogen. I would assume that's needed to have a certain part, amount of... That's part of it. Yeah, we need to have some body fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we, all women... Even little girls make a certain amount of testosterone. Right. Little boys make a certain amount of estrogen. That's all made from the adrenal complex. Okay. That whole set of adrenal glands, and there's three parts of the adrenal glands, the medulla, and the, the outer portion and the inner portion. And so all of those hormones are being manufactured at all times ever since we were born. But they're really low levels, very small low levels. And so then when we demand our exercise hormones, then all of that just gets left in the dirt. I mean, we're just... We just can't, can't produce them. So we just were exercise fiends and we wonder why we never really grew up. So I have a, a question along that. I mean, I didn't grow, I was very active growing up, but I was never on sports teams until high school when I joined the running team and, and swim team and stuff like that. But I was definitely overproducing hormones. And for me, it was showing up as what my doctor would tell me later would be endometriosis. And it's why I had my kids really young at 23 and 26. I was like, okay, the 22 years ago, the the wisdom of the time was, we don't know if you can have kids later, which is true to this day. I guess you can do a lot of surgeries, but he just said, if, you, if you're married and you want kids, have them because we don't know what happens with the endometriosis later. So, And it could also p possibly make it go away. So I went ahead and had kids young, but as soon as my kids, my period came back, the horrible endometriosis pain came back with it. But I never got acne. So why, you know, even if it's just your opinion, I'd love to know, I never got acne, but I had horrible, painful periods. I have some clients who get horrible cystic acne, but it doesn't show up in their cycle. You know, their periods, they don't have horrible, painful periods. Like, like, is it known what hormone, it, or would you just say it's all got to be estrogen that's causing these, these cysts all over the face and the back and everything? It is hormones that are causing the zits. And it is hormone that's creating the pain. But why did you not have acne and you had the horrible cramping and somebody else had acne and they don't have the horrible cramping? That all goes back to we're all different. And there are receptor sites in our body for in you know our skin and the ovaries and the the lining of the uterus and there's all these different places and so how does your body respond and so obviously somewhere in your genetics unique you had you were not going to be one that was predisposed to acne and so somewhere or another that was handed down because we have on the on the genome we have very specific alleles that are addressing acne and addressing development of the uterus and an endometrial lining. And so those are all going to become some genetic factors in there too. And we can have polymorphisms that are coming in here, polymorphisms or mutations on the gene that can be passed down. And then we have epigenetics that are coming into play too. I mean, there are so many factors. Epigenetics means things that are affecting our genome 
that are from the outside, smoking, alcohol, exercise, too much caffeine, too much sugar, stress, all those things are affecting our genome too. Because once you have copied the, the DNA, that DNA has to be translated into protein. They're all translated into proteins. And then it, we always think of protein as muscle mass, but you just have to know that everything has got these amino acids that are put together in a certain form to make different substances. And so when they are being put together, if they're put together just slightly different because there's all kinds of processes involved in that, that's being controlled by epigenetics. So you may be genetically okay, but in epigenetics, you develop the phenotype of acne or the phenotype of cramping. So we are so individual. I mean, we have some general things that are, you know, that we're all about, you know, five fingers and, you know, on each hand and, you know, 10 toes and all the rest of it. But we are very different individuals. So... Yeah. And I do think it's, I, and I see that a lot too, because I have some clients who do fine with a certain amount of working out and their periods are fine and their skin is fine. And then other clients, they start working out and everything just falls apart. And right away, I look at that and I'm like, there's genetics at play here. You know, it's, it's not just we're all females and we all can't do the same thing. It's really, in, it's such an individual journey. And it's, I think it's so important to get to know what our bodies need individually and not fight that just because somebody else can run a marathon and it doesn't have an effect on losing hair and their periods, but another person does, it's obvious that that person shouldn't be doing that. And I think we have such a hard time, as much as we want to be individuals, all of us also want to be able to do the same thing. Well, they're having coffee and they're fine. Well, you have coffee and you're not fine, you know, and that's okay. Like we have to come to terms with our own individuality in a world where everybody wants to be an individual. Nobody wants to be different, you know, and it's like, you got to honor the body you're in, you know, and, and when your body speaks, and I, I spend so much time on this, when your body speaks, it's our job to listen, you know, and go, oh, I need to honor this in you. And you're not a person who can run a marathon and, and you're, you know, the one person does and they lose no hair and the other person loses all of their hair, you know. I would love for you to talk about PCOS because that is hugely on the rise. And there is this really interesting insulin component, blood sugar component to it. Would love to hear your thoughts on, on PCOS. The blood sugar is something else that's controlled by hormones, two of them, glucogen as well as insulin. Mm -hmm. And so, and then if you have a large amount of corticosteroids running through your bloodstream because you got all worked up about something, angry, stressed out, or were exercising, that always increases your blood glucose levels. And so then you have to have increased insulin, then you might become insulin resistant, and then you have to have the glucogen to try to bring it down. I mean, there's, there, where all the whole endocrine system is a very delicate dance between many different hormones and and one hormone will affect another hormone within this system. PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the, they come with typical symptoms. It, often you can have this hair growth, you know, or these, or you can have a lack of periods, or you can have a lot of periods too. You can have cysts grow on the ovaries, but then you don't have to have cysts grow on the ovaries, although they call it polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's a lot of and there's pain involved and, you know, and this is a problem of overproduction of hormones. It's just, you know, whether it's the testosterone at the very top of the chain or it's the estrogen down here or then, you know, the, from the corpus luteum that we're producing the progesterone, it's all, again, too many hormones. And so it's our lifestyle. I will tell you that's what it is. It's our lifestyle. We drink caffeine. We eat sugar. Some of us smoke. That's not good either. That'll really mash you up too. We overexercise and then we bathe in perfumes constantly. And if we don't bathe in them, we wash our clothes in and our bed clothes so that they're always on our clothes. It's in our hair from the shampoo. It's everywhere. 
And, you know, even if you were clean, I'll say clean in the sense that you don't have any perfumes, well, you go to work and everybody at work smells, you know, like everything. And so then you got to get an air purifier for your little office space. And that doesn't quite cut it all. And, you know, you're breathing that in. The one good thing about the masks is at least now you can wear a mask and you can cut out a couple. They're very small molecules. You will still get some of them in, but at least you can knock out some of it, you know, <laughs> and nobody will look at you funny nowadays. If you wear a mask, nobody thinks anything about anybody wearing a mask. Anymore. Not anymore. Before, if you used to wear a mask, it was like, whoa, you have you something were the, that you're, you're a weirdo. What's the matter with you? You're wearing a mask in the grocery store. What's your problem? Now, this will, I don't think we'll ever have that problem again. No, I don't think so either. You know, what's interesting talking about genetics is I had, ran a full panel of genetics on myself. And one of the things it actually says in there is that I do not process chemicals well, perfumes, birth control pills, which I'd love for you to talk about how synthetic birth control pills interfere with the brain's connection to the endocrine system and and kind of like just talk about your perspective on that. But I don't, I don't clear synthetic hormones well from my liver and it's all just based on my genetics. And to see that, because my whole life I've been sensitive to smell, but of course I per perfumed myself when I was younger anyway, because that's what you did. And to see this all in my genetics was just kind of like, like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Like I tried the birth control pill, my body rejected it four or five times, but did I listen? No, let's try the IUD, body rejected it got rid of it. And then looking at my genetics and it's like, yeah, don't, you don't clear synthetic estrogen. And I, it's so interesting because so many women are on the pill, the IUD, and, and then later on, you know, hormone estrogen. replacement therapy later for, yeah. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your perspective on the pill and if there's any upside and, and what the downsides are of doing it, but then also kind of like perimenopause and, and, what one would expect going through the stages of perimenopause into menopause. And do we all have to be on hormone replacement therapy? No, not at all. I don't recommend it at all. Put you at high risk for cancer and your risk of cancer is high enough as it is because of our environment and all the stress that we're under. As far as the hormones, it, it, whether or not you take a synthetic hormone or whether you take a, a biologically, I, we call them a, a biological identical hormone. It doesn't matter. You're taking it from an exogenous source. You are saying, I am better and I am smarter than my human body. I know how much estrogen I need. Or I know how much progesterone. A birth control pill usually is a combination of estrogen and progesterone. And then when you get into hormone replacement therapy, when you're older, it's usually just estrogen replacement. But you're saying, we know better. We're smarter than our bodies. We know how much estrogen we need. And, you know, it's going to do all these fabulous things for me. Taking it from an exogenous, that means from outside your body, you're swallowing a hormone. You don't know what you are doing. You, how much estrogen do you need at this very moment in time? Because people don't understand. You always think that, okay, well, estrogen is the same amount every single moment of the day, every day. And then, you know, you work up to a period and then it doesn't do a spike and all that. And no, your estrogen's level are changing by the moment, depending on what your situation is right now. Because if you're stressed out, remember the stress hormones are going to also inhibit in what you're doing with your female hormones. I mean, so there's this delicate dance that is being played out by the moment. And so when you take a set amount of estrogen or progesterone estrogen combo in a birth control pill, you are determining this is the amount that my body needs. And so that goes into the system and your pituitary is going to pick up on 
oh, look at all this extra estrogen and progesterone we have in the system. Well, then we need to tell the body, stop making it. Shut down, ovaries. Shut down, shut down, shut down. And you actually create more problems because you were denying your body the opportunity to balance the hormones. It's going to try to balance the hormones by you putting in a synthetic, but your body should have been able to try to make these decisions for itself for you to know when you do need to go through menopause, when you are in perimenopause, which is a process. Perimenopause means that you are in the throes of making less and less estrogen from your ovaries because the ovaries are going to die. They will actually shrivel up. They look like a dried up raisin, about the size of a dried up raisin. They're usually the size of a nice plump almond. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when they, you go through many are uh, perimenopause, they start to get smaller and they shrink up and they get shrivelly and they just look like a dried up raisin. And they're about that small, a little dried up raisin. And they don't make the estrogen for you anymore. So does that mean that you're going to, you know, never have any woman tendencies anymore because you don't have the estrogen? No, your adrenal glands will be making estrogen for you. The adrenal glands will convert testosterone into estrogen or they'll just simply make the estrogen themselves? Or is it a conversion process? No, there's a conversion process and it usually doesn't happen within the adrenal glands. It happens in other places in the human body. Okay. But but it, it is that the testosterone is made there. And, we, and then that is the precursor to the estrogen. Like I'm about to turn 46 and I can feel my body going through these waves, you know, where probably one ovary is getting closer to giving up the ghost than the other and periods start to change. I mean, I'm still on a 28-day cycle, but I can feel the difference. Like I can feel the difference in just my body at large as my body shifts. You are definitely in the range. Usually once we pass the age of 40, we're going to start, things will start to change. Mm. By the time the average age of menopause, that means you have not had a cycle, a menstrual cycle for one complete year, no bleeding at all. At that point, you can say I'm in menopause. And the average age of menopause in the United States is 51. And perimenopause can go on for several years. It's common going for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you are a smack dab, yes, in the right age range for perimenopause. And yes, you could still be having 28-day cycles, but things are a little bit just sort of off-center. You know, they're just not like, it's different. Yes, because your body, your ovaries are giving up the ghost and they give up the ghost slowly. And then your adrenals have to pick up this testosterone production so that we can be able to make the estrogen for you to remain a full woman, you know, and not turn into the bearded lady at circus. But does that happen? Like I see some men as they get older, look more like women because of their bellies are making too much estrogen is what I understand. And then women who start looking more like men, is that because the, it's not converting from testosterone into estrogen and it's just testosterone? It's, or? It's, well, it's the overabundance of testosterone. It's really the amount of testosterone that you're producing. You're not going to be producing from the ovaries anymore. And it's a different type of estrogen that is being made from the testosterone that's outside of the ovaries. The ovaries themselves are going to be producing a very specific type of estrogen. Mm-hmm. And so that is all stopping. And so you just have this other type of estrogen being made from the testosterone, the same kind you had when you were a little girl that made mm-hmm. you a little girl instead of a little boy. Mm-hmm. And so you're back to that you're back to that place. As far as the men, the more belly fat, the more you've all seen, we've all seen overweight men. And yes, they look like they have a tendency to be more effeminate because, you know, they actually develop breasts. I mean, you, you know, 
they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. And it's because of the fat and the fat is producing another form of estrogen. Mm. And so mm. it has an impact. And so then that means there'll be prostate problems because then the prostate gland in a male is going to try to overcome this nasty estrogen and mm. knock it down. And so then the prostate has to grow to be able to make its hormones. And then you have an enlarged prostate. You have an enlarged prostate. There are prostates in two hemispheres. And then the ureter, that the, the tube that's carrying the urine, runs in the crevice of those two hemispheres. And so as those hemispheres swell up, then that little crevice gets crunched and the ureter that's running in there gets squished. And when it gets squished, then the, the guys feel like, oh, I got to run to the bathroom all the time. I got to, you know, and then they only get a little bit of urine out. And 10 minutes later, they're in there trying again. And they get this little bit of urine out. Yeah, that's because you're, you're squeezing off, you know, and it's because you've got the swollen prostate. Why, do you, why did your prostate grow? Because you have so much estrogen. We're trying and to keep you on boil. <laughs> so that's, that's how, so in women, the overconsumption of these stimulants can lead to painful periods, you know, all of the, all of the issues we've talked about that can happen for females. But for men, is that why there's such a, not talked about, but a lot of prostate issues going on and prostate cancer and stuff like that. Is yeah. that where it shows up for the men? Yes, that's where it shows up for the men. Super interesting. Cause I mean, it's, and it's erectile, almost, and a lot of men don't, they don't like to talk about it, but there's an erectile dysfunction too. So is so. that all with the overconsumption of alcohol and caffeine and and sugar and processed foods and fast foods and overworking out as well? Like, could that, because I'm really curious why there's so much prostate cancer and it's so normalized that it's like, oh, most men will get prostate cancer, but it's slow moving and they'll die before the prostate cancer kills them. But is it's just normalized. It's kind of how I feel about it. Well, yeah, it's because it is normal to have the caffeine and the sugar and the perfumes because the men are affected by perfumes and fragrances too because they mm -hmm. make more estrogen and then you have to make more testosterone to combat it. The exercise is a little bit different for men because, mm -hmm. you know, they are testosterone beings and supposed to be. And they're actually set up with a lot of receptor sites for testosterone to build massive amounts of muscle. It doesn't matter how a woman works out. You know, they, she can work out. She will never have the same muscle mass that a man would that works out the same amount of time. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen because they don't, the men have the genetics for it. women do not. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, we cannot say that men are the same as women or women are the same as men. I mean, if we do, it's just like, okay, if you want to believe that lie, you can, if you tell it to yourself often enough, you can believe it if you want to, but the reality is you're wrong. It's, we are different creatures altogether. Women, is, is it beneficial? Because there's a lot of literature out there that we should be focused on building the muscle we can as we get older because it's harder to build muscle. Is there benefit to building, Not, I'm not talking about like, running, you know, a hit workouts or anything like that, but is there benefit to lifting heavy things and activating those muscles to keep strong bones? Because I think one of the, one of the reasons why a lot of women who go on replacement their hormone therapy is that they're worried about their heart health and their bone health with the lack of estrogen. I'm curious what you think about that. You see, this is the type of thing that, that aggravates me. It's because, you know, we have to do the estrogen because of the heart health. But when you go back and you look at the nurses study and you look at these studies, we have very much said it has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. There, we have shown that the estrogen and heart health, they are unrelated. And we have actually proven this in double blind studies. And we have lots of studies that are showing this. And so, but because we have put it out, it's the, it's the old adage that if you say something often enough, and long enough, even if it's a lie, 
if you say it often enough and long enough, then it's perceived as truth. Because these studies first came out, and so then we start purporting these things and saying, well, that's an assumption. We need to do more work and more research on it. And then we don't, and then we finally we do, it's like, oh, well, we threw that out. I mean, this the women's health studies has thrown all those things out and said, no, really has nothing to do with it. So, but we're still, it's just like we're still under the guise of if you eat eggs, it's going to raise your cholesterol level. That is so bogus and has been thrown out by science decades and decades ago, but people are still espousing that because they were told it for so long. Yeah, it's, it is interesting because to this day, people with high cholesterol was like, well, I need to cut out my, my protein and my eggs. And, I, and I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So doing hormone replacement therapy to protect your heart and your bones is not actually okay. No, I don't recommend hormone replacement therapy for any woman because that puts you at a great risk for cancer. Mm. The number of people who die every moment while we've been talking right now, how many thousands of people have died of cancer. Cancer is the number one across the world. It is the number one killer. It is out of control. It's past pandemic. But do we, we, you know, but we're no, we don't worry about that. I mean, we're worried about it, but I mean, we, it's like I said, it's we're, we, we, we get something so mixed up. So no, you don't need hormonal replacement therapy as you're going through menopause. What you need is a healthy endocrine system that will be able to make the adequate weaker estrogens that you made prior to your menarche, way back when you were a little girl of six or seven years old. That was the estrogen that was being made from the testosterone from those adrenal glands. And so that's where we have to get back to. But women who are going through menopause or going through perimenopause, menopause is when you've actually stopped bleeding. They have so exhausted their adrenal glands throughout their 40 years of menstruation, basically, you know, roughly in there that they have been menstruating. Because they were drinking caffeinated beverages and they were doing all the perfumes and fragrances and over-exercising, stress to the max, you know, all the bad sugars and all of that. They continue to imbibe that for those 40 years. They have really worn out their whole endocrine system and especially those adrenals. And so when their ovaries finally say, okay, guys, it's biologically time for me to stop. I'm quitting. Who has to take over the production of the estrogen? Because that estrogen... When you were in those years of being a childbearing woman where you were having menstrual cycles, the estrogen is not made in the adrenal glands. It is made in the ovaries. Your ovaries are doing that job. Now the ovaries gave up the ghost. And so now we have to hand the job back off to the adrenals and say, okay, adrenals, it's your time again. It's your turn. You know, we're going to have to, you're going to have to work on this because the ovaries down here, they quit the job. Okay. So now you've got to pick it up and they're going to go, What? I can barely keep up with her stress levels. And she continually is imbibing this caffeine. She's always exposed to perfume and the fragrances. And you're now, and so now I am so stressed out and you're going to give me another job to do. No way. I'm not doing it. And so you don't produce enough. And then you have hot flashes and you have the crying spells and the migraine headaches and the dry vagina and all the menopausal symptoms. And you go through menopause without getting a dry vagina and crying all the time and beating up on people because you're hormonally just whacked. Absolutely. I'm Great. a prime example of it. I'm 64 years old and I went through menopause and you never would have known any difference. Mm -hmm. Just sail through without one problem at all. So you were further between and then one day they just were gone. That was the end of it. Well, you're my expander, as Lacey would put it, because I say to my clients that I've been on the bean protocol for nine years obviously a very different version early on that I'm on now, but I still don't imbibe in caffeine. 
You know, and it that was a hard one for me too, because you know, green tea is like all over the news as being the best thing ever, but it's still caffeine and the good parts of it don't outweigh the negative impact on my adrenals. And I had to come to terms with that as well. But what I say to my clients is everything I do now is for menopause, is for a successful, easy menopause. Because if I take care of myself, then I believe my body will take care of me and I don't have to end up being a wild menopause woman with a dry vagina. So I'm working for that. You're, you're going to come through it really well, Unique. You're going to come through it really well. Stay at, you know, I live in LA where it's a lot of call to like stay young forever. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I just want to age gracefully and I want to support my body getting there. I don't want to, I just want to eat well and give my body the opportunity to age gracefully. And so I'm obviously a huge fan of your work and you as a person and, and just thank you for really just putting such a wonderful protocol in the world to help all of us because it's changed the course of my life. I was on a very different trajectory in life. And, and after I healed my Crohn's disease and, you know, I've, I've had COVID twice and people are like, oh, did you have a Crohn's flare? And I'm like, no, I, I, since I've been in remission, I've been on the bean protocol. I've never had a Crohn's flare and, and I manage my stress and I don't ingest, you know, Say alcohol is once in a blue moon these days, and if that, but I just really love feeling good every day. Like there's, it's a habit, you know, because breaking the other habits are hard because we're surrounded in a world where everybody normalizes doing all of this stuff, you know, drinking caffeine and eating sugar, and and if you don't, you're restricted, and 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 there's so much mental play in the world that to just take care of yourself and feel good about that is weird. It's like, wait, you don't eat sugar and you don't drink. No, I don't do any of those things. And I haven't for years. And, and I feel amazing. And that to me is the gift is feeling amazing. The most restricted years of my life were sick. Those, there was nothing more restrictive than being sick. And I love feeling good. And I, yeah, I just want to say thank you. But I also have to ask you, because this was when I put it out to my community that I was going to be interviewing you, they had a lot of questions. And I was like, I'm not going to get into all those but m what most people ask me is what was in the green dragon that you gave Ruth to save her life? Like what was actually in that? The main, the main thing was soluble fiber in the form of psyllium. Soluble fiber because that's what clears the liver of, of the organophosphate. Mm. It's a soluble fiber, everybody. Everybody's like, what's in the, you need, you have to ask her what's in the green dragon. So that's one of them. And then I was yeah. wondering if there's any, oh, well, I did have another question about AMH. If somebody has low AMH, if they're doing your protocol, could there be a reason why they're not developing follicles and that AMH is low? And can they come back from that? Is that something that can change? They can, they can come back from that. Okay. I mean, we, we can always change. The only thing we can't change is uh, the actual DNA. Now, if we have a mutation, we do have DNA repair systems that can go in and change the mutation to its original confirmation of those, those different codons that are put together. But no, we can still heal. Absolutely. Do you have any hormone stories of people that you worked with that are amazing that you want to share before I let you go today? Yeah, well, it's not well, there's so many of them, I guess, with endometriosis. I mean, there are so many dozens. They're all everybody gets better. Everybody gets better, but hormones are also triggers for seizures and different things. And so I've been working with a little set of nine-month-old twins that were having constant seizures. I mean, we're talking hundreds a day. And so, and it's just so much of it was a hormonal trigger. And of course they have them 
and the doctors had him on these sugary formulas, which is the worst thing. It was just keeping him triggered. And you need to know the one little twin is just amazingly different. The other one's coming along. He was much worse and he's coming along so well. So it's just nice to see what the doctors termed is too bad. They're just going to just seize to death and you've never, you know, it's just, it's going to, and you know, then this is a genetic disorder and all the rest of it. It's just like, no, I think this is epigenetic and it's just what, you know, what has happened to them. And so it's just a really neat story because hormones are impacting many areas, not just female hormones, but every area of our life. So, yeah, I have to say I'm on, I have the pleasure of being on the other end of a lot of um, your clients and coaching them and just seeing, you know, the transformations in liver enzymes, you know, and to hormones, like it's just, it's beautiful to realize that when they say that we're 20% our genetics and 80% our diet and lifestyle, we have this incredible power through diet and lifestyle to change the story of our health. And if we have the capacity to dedicate ourselves to it, I think that's the big missing link is the, is that's the dedication. That's the big missing link. That's yeah. the big missing link. And that's why we need people like you, Unique. You were helping people through the day-to-day. You can say no to that coffee. And, you know, Mine is on a, you know, let me just tell you, this is all the things you need to do. I'm telling you, it will work. You just do them. But I'm not walking through you every day saying, come on, I'm not your life coach, is what I call it. I'm so thankful for you, Unique, and what you're doing, because that's that's a real calling, and you do a great job at it. Thank you so much. And, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for coming today and talking us through all of these complex hormones that are, when I hear you talk about it, it's not as complex as it seems. It's pretty simple. So thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.